Hey, what up? Hello, everybody. Alex Kapitko here, centered from Reality Podcast. It's Thursday, September 21st, 2023, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah, 2023. Anyways, uh, I hope your Thursday's going well. It's cool today. Honestly, I was telling a buddy at work, I'm like, I could have it be October all year. I guess it's not October yet, but you know what I mean. We're getting into the October vibes. I could have it just constantly be like 55 to 60 degrees, overcast, not too cold. There's sun, but it's not too hot. I love October. I am a Scorpio. I think horoscopes and all that stuff is bullshit. They're so vague that we can believe any of them. They'll all tell us what we want to hear no matter what. But I, yeah, I'm, I'm an October baby and I, I love it. So that is a positive and the negative is last night, trivia, not so good. Hopefully next week will be better. It's always a gamble. It's either fourth, fourth place or first usually, but last night we did get, I think it was last or second to last. I'm trying to just memory hole that. But anyways, another round of trivia tonight. Uh, it's becoming kind of my new thing, <laughs> as sad as that may be. So don't judge me. But I want to talk about a few things today. I will note that it was Ann Applebaum who was on Bill Crystal's podcast, and she also mentioned this in an article in The Atlantic, that she thought Poland over time could become a thorn in Ukraine's side. And that's what I do want to talk about for the majority of this episode, because Poland is talking about limiting aid to Ukraine going forward, and I mean military aid, and this is over kind of a conflict over grain exportation, and it usually goes out from the Black Sea. But as we know, the Russians are making that difficult. So grain has been going through Poland. And basically, it's hurting, or at least the Polish government says, it's hurting Polish farmers because grain from Ukraine is a lot cheaper than Polish grain. And yeah, the more right-leaning populist government in Poland is not a fan of that. And so we're kind of seeing a pretty significant diplomatic row between two countries that are really big allies. But so we'll, we'll talk about that. But first, I want to just go through a few other things going on today. <laughs> Kevin McCarthy, <laughs> he obviously sold his soul to be speaker. Every day, according to reports, he is in survival mode. He's not really thinking about the future too much. He's not really looking ahead. It's like, wake up, See if you can maintain your speakership for another day. It's kind of pathetic in a lot of ways. I know he wanted to be speaker. He wanted to have that engraved on his door. But I think history will kind of remember... Well, sorry, sorry, that got cut off a little bit. But I think history will kind of remember him as a bit of a joke. That's how I see it. And even his own colleagues see it. Not that I like Matt Gates at all. By the way, uh, Matt Gates might be running for governor of Florida in 2028, I guess it would be. So wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> also, so yeah, anyways, I, I didn't even get to Kevin McCarthy's stuff, but basically he suffered another defeat as Republicans blocked a defense spending bill for the third time. The bill is one of 12 that basically must be passed to avoid a government shutdown on October 1st. I am just going to go out on a limb and say that the far-right conservatives that are holding this up are going to say, okay, we'll make an agreement, but aid to Ukraine has to be kept out. I think that's one option. I think another option is obviously McCarthy making a deal with Democrats, but um, a lot of reports and insiders have said that this is becoming less and less likely because of the impeachment. 
I guess a lot of Democrats were talking about supporting McCarthy until the impeachment, and now a lot of them are saying, sorry, man, not anymore. And we're seeing kind of a lot of infighting right now between the far right and the center right. A lot of, it's just a circus. I mean, I I think the telltale sign this was going to be a circus is when Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene got into a screaming match and called each other bitches and all that stuff. And I, I guess the dark thing here is that usually we talk about a shutdown coming and then at the end of the day, both sides make an agreement. But this time it does seem a little bit more troubling just because we have such diverse and chaotic wings in the Republican Party and the polarization even inside of the Republican Party itself is much worse. And I, I do wonder... A lot of experts that know, or at least insiders on Capitol Hill that I follow, do think this one looks different, and we could be looking at a shutdown. So, fun stuff. Fun stuff. And I should also just note really briefly that Rupert Murdoch is stepping down as chairman of Fox Corp, which is obviously the fair, uh, the, sorry, the parent company of Fox News. His son, Lachlan, is now going to run both companies, and The Economist notes that in a memo to employees... Mr. Murdoch wrote that the time is right for me to take on a different role. So he's gone. Kind of. And I'm sure he'll still have some influence in there. I'm not a big Lachlan fan. Lachlan's a little bit too much for me. But uh, big day. I mean, Rupert Murdoch, like him or not, very influential, very powerful, very involved. So anyways, to the main thing I want to talk about, Zelensky, Vladimir Zelensky, obviously in the United States. But while he's in the United States... Poland is basically saying it is not going to continue supplying the same level of arms that it was doing previously. And on the surface level, this is the outcome of tensions between these two countries that has been building for quite some time now. I'll get into those specifics in a little bit. But also at the same time, this is kind of a damning issue right here because Ukraine is probably, or sorry, Poland is probably the biggest ally to Ukraine right now. We have to remember that Poland took in about, I think it was a million refugees at the beginning of the war. Poland has been quite hawkish, obviously, because Poland has experience being invaded by the Soviets, controlled by the Soviets. There's a lot of shared history there. And before I get into the specifics, I think I would also say that I don't think this means Poland is like pro-Russia or Poland doesn't sympathize with Ukraine. I think this is more of an economic row that hopefully will be resolved soon, and then we'll see another talk about weapons. But interestingly, Poland has also said the reason they're doing this is because they want to focus on getting new weapons to their own country and to protect themselves, which is interesting because... As of now, I haven't heard any threats of, say, Russia invading Poland or something like that. But it does seem like there is a sense of this that Poland is looking internally on focusing on their own security as well. So there's a lot of moving pieces here. But Poland has also clarified saying that it would honor existing commitments to supply arms. But I think the key term there is existing meaning that maybe any new arms agreements or new shipments of arms might be not happening. But also we need to remember that they've been mainly giving Ukraine Soviet-era weapons, so it's not like they're using and exhausting all of their new weapons technologies and whatnot. They've been mainly giving Ukraine a lot of Soviet-era technology. So I do think that is important to note. Anyways... 
On September 21st, The Economist notes that the government spokesperson, Piotr Müller, said that his country would only complete previously agreed deliveries of arms and, and ammunition to Ukraine and mentioned that Ukraine's unacceptable statements and actions would not be tolerated. The article continues, he was referring to an escalating quarrel with Ukraine over grain exports. And I'm going to get into that in a little bit, but you have basically Ukraine Zelensky calling out Poland for this. And at the same time, we also now have the EU basically looking into whether Poland's actions can be legal here. But basically, what, what we're seeing here is that a lot of EU countries ha have argued for quite a while now that the duty-free import of Ukrainian pro of produce and grain has wrecked havoc on internal European markets. The Economist notes here in quotes, On May 2nd, to allay their fears, the European Commission agreed to ban the sale, of, the sale or storage of certain Ukrainian produce in Bulgaria, Hungary, Poland, Romania, and Slovakia. And what has basically happened here is that we have to remember that the Black Sea ports in Ukraine, where a lot of the grain is shipped around the world from, Russia's been blocking it, right? And for a while, Russia had made agreements, mainly brokered by Turkey, to allow ships to continue to get out of there. But obviously, a turn of events, we had the destruction of that bridge in Crimea and other actions, and Putin has backtracked on that a lot. And I think what we're seeing here right now is how this Black Sea chaos is starting to piss off people in Europe. And I would actually argue to a certain extent this is kind of that war of attrition that is actually now pissing off right-wing and left-wing populists inside of Europe. And if I was Ukraine, I would be concerned about this. I would be very concerned about this. And anyways, rant aside, we have to remember that Ukraine is a significant breadbasket for the world. A lot of that grain goes to the sub-Saharan Africa and other parts of, I guess you could say, the more developing or global south. And Ukraine still has a lot of grain. The yields, from my understanding, are not as good as in previous years, but they still have a shit ton. So they have been trying to find other ways to get the grain out. And the best way is basically going through Hungary, Poland, Slovakia. And by the way, these are the three countries that are now banning, blocking, whatever you want to say, grain imports, or at least the transit of Ukrainian grain through their countries. And the reason they are doing this is basically... It's, it's pretty obvious. The, the transit of Ukrainian grain is hurting European economies be, because what was supposed to happen was that they were going to use trucks to basically transit grain and then they can export it from inside of Europe to international markets outside of the EU. But mainly I would say that because of logistical bottlenecks, a lot of the grain has been stuck in Poland and it's driving down local prices in Poland because Ukrainian grain is cheaper than Polish grain. And so basically what you have is just a lot of angry farmers in places like Hungary, Slovakia, and Poland. And I should note that mainly this was because a shortage of trains and trucks basically made it so that a lot of the grain stayed in local areas. And yeah, there's been weeks of protest. Um, the Economist notes that on April 15th, Poland's government banned the import and transit 
from Ukraine of dozens of goods, including grains, milk, honey, fruits, vegetables, and some meats. Robert Telus, the agricultural minister of Poland, said that Poland's embargo was necessary to open the eyes of the EU. The article continues, Hungary and Slovakia quickly followed suit. And I, I weirdly enough, am kind of sympathetic to both on this one. Because I think one side would say banning the transit of grain through Europe is going to protect local economies because the grain is being sold under the market price and it's hurting employment and well-being in the country. Obviously, farmers and agriculture are a huge constituency in any democracy, and so they're just kind of doing what is expected. The other side, though, and it's also one I'm sympathetic with, would be that Ukraine is at war. Most of its ports are blocked and cannot function well, and it needs to get grain out because there is the point that a lot of the world does rely, depend, whatever you want to say, on Ukrainian grain as well as Russian grain. And it's a really tough one. But then again, I think you do have a lot of rural constituencies in places like Poland and Slovakia and Hungary that aren't doing much better and they are angry about this. And I did watch an interview. It was with Al Jazeera. They interviewed a Ukrainian lorry slash truck driver. And it did kind of appeal to me, the interview, because this was a guy, Ukrainian, very thrilled that they were able to get their grain across the border. He he was just glad that there was still a ability to sell it, especially with all the chaos going on inside of Ukraine. And he was just confused about why the, all these trucks were then blocked at the Polish border now because of new policies. And yeah, he was kind of pissed off about it. And it's a really, really tough one. And I think this actually shows me why... As a war goes on longer and longer, you can see public support in democracies start to decline. I don't think Putin has done this intentionally. Maybe he has. Like I did say on the podcast probably a few months ago now that this Black Sea blockade or whatever you want to call it that Putin is doing right now, I did think it was going to actually cause some issues with our allies. And we're seeing that right now. And then also there's the other side to this, and this is that the EU and the European Commission specifically, they have quite a complicated road ahead. What I mean here is that the EU has to basically balance supporting Ukraine rhetorically and logistically while also protecting farmers in its own member countries. And it does seem like these two things are opposing each other more and more as time goes. And... The EU has said that countries can't unilaterally set policies like this, blocking the lift of tariffs basically for Ukrainian grain, blocking the border, blocking transit. I personally think this gets complicated because the EU is not the United States. It's not one country. These are countries with national borders still. I personally support a country making these type of decisions, but then again, this is the muddled nature of the EU, which most of the time I think is actually quite a successful experiment that has worked quite well for most of Europe. But this is an issue because the EU has said rhetorically that, you know, you can't unilaterally set policies like this, but it's not actually done too much as of now because it is walking a very fine line, a very tight rope. 
I also think that this whole row could show the issues the EU faces as the war continues, and you do have diverging parties with diverging interests. Like, French officials have called out Poland specifically. Germany's called out Poland specifically. They both are definitely more on the side of unconditional aid to Ukraine no matter what. And it this this to me is actually like one of those conundrums that really confuses me and would keep me up at night if I was a diplomat or someone involved in all of this because I truly can see both sides here. And I do just want to reiterate again, I don't personally see this as Poland saying, oh, we want to help Russia here. Now, Hungary is a little bit of a different one, even though I still don't think that is the intent here. I think we also need to remember that politics is mainly at play here. I would argue that the motivation is political because Poland's ruling, what's it called, law and justice, the PIS, those are the initials in Polish, which I obviously am not going to try to say, but basically the PIS party depends on the rural vote. (laughs) So obviously you don't want to piss off farmers before the general election on, on October 15th. And so this is all quite chaotic. Now, I I guess this is somewhat positive today. The Slovakian government did strike a deal with Ukraine, and this will allow the resumption of grain imports. There's a part of me that thinks maybe after the election, if the PIS does well, maybe they talk about at least some conditions on resuming this or at least starting to resume this. But I I do reflect on Ann Applebaum's comments back with Bill Kristol on his show Conversations. And she did say that she predicted Poland would become a thorn in Ukraine's side and in NATO's side just because of the right-wing populism that's growing there. And she is an expert on this. Her husband actually is or was, I forget, but he worked in the Polish government. He's Polish. And so she knows Poland better than a lot of other countries. And she's followed it just on almost every level possible. And she has warned that the right-wing changes going on in Poland could eventually backfire on the cause. So I think that's also noted here. Part of me does wonder if maybe under the surface there is some willingness to, how do I phrase this? maybe not be as strong in support of Ukraine because there's some sort of sympathy to what Viktor Orban and some of these other countries are doing. I do think Poland is like hungry light right now, to say the least, and so that would not surprise me whatsoever. The other thing here that is worrying to me too is that if Poland obviously commits to its current deals but starts to slowly pull back in aid to Ukraine... This is going to put pressure on other allies to give Ukraine more weapons. I mean, I would have to assume that is why Zelensky's doing his U.S. tour again, is because he sees the writing on the wall here. And, I mean, at the end of the day, I am worried about what is next, what is going on here, because Ukraine's counteroffensive has not gone well. They've barely taken any land. And it's looking more and more like a stalemate with a lot of bad bloodshed. And I don't have any specific answers to what we should do or how we could go about this because I called this a year or two ago, a little over a year ago when all of this started. I said right now public opinion is there. 
Ukraine bounced back better than we thought. But I just had a feeling that as the war drags on and if economic issues get worse, there's going to be a public backlash. And we're seeing it maybe not as much in Germany and France, but we are seeing it in the United States. We are seeing it obviously in places like Poland and Hungary. And I think there are a lot of people wondering what are we doing and how are we going to bring an end to this? And I am one of the ones who's like, we can't let Putin succeed. I've said time and time again, diplomacy clearly is not going to work in this case when you have an aggressive, violent actor involved. But at the same time, I don't particularly see the current strategies working. We're spending a lot of money. People are dying. It, it, it definitely keeps me up at night. And I've asked a lot of people, people that I like to talk politics with, some people that know way more than me about this, and I've never heard a concrete answer about what is next. And so, yeah, I will probably end this on that really rosy, happy note to end your Thursday. But it is serious stuff, and it does seem like instability is growing, populism is growing, and I don't, I don't think a lot of world leaders have a lot of answers here. So anyways, you can find me on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean. You guys know the rest. Have a great evening. Wish me luck in trivia tonight. Alex out. Adios. Adios.